Welcome to Design Your Destiny, your podcast for tapping into the power of your subconscious mind. In this next few minutes, allow me to show you how to tap into that power so that you can create success with ease, form deeper connections, and have greater presence in your relationships, and most importantly, find peace within yourself. My name is Penny Chason, and I'm your host. Hey, hey, it's Penny here, and I want to chat a little bit today about people-pleasing and perfectionism. It's something that I see a lot, and it really impacts people in a variety of ways. And I think if I had an hour to talk about this, then I wouldn't be able to still get into all of it. A lot of people have been talking recently about trauma response, especially after everything that um, happened at the Oscars. People have been talking about different ways that trauma response can present itself. And people-pleasing and perfectionism are two behaviors that can be a trauma response, but they are not always a trauma response. People-pleasing and perfectionism can also be learned behaviors. And they are learned behaviors that if they were learned in the home, then they can be highly reinforced and repetitive. And then when people try to to break out of these people-pleasing tendencies, out of these perfectionism tendencies that can keep them from getting what they want out of life, it becomes extremely uh, frustrating. But it doesn't have to be. But we'll circle back to that later. What I would like to do is give you some examples of where people-pleasing and perfectionism can come from. Because awareness is everything. Once you are aware of something, then when you recognize its origins, when you gain insights, then you can shift it and do something about it. But if you're not even aware of it, then it's kind of hard to do that. So let's take these separately. Let's look at people-pleasing. And they do overlap. But let's look specifically at people-pleasing to begin with. People-pleasing can come from simple misperceptions. So take, for example, a mother who has a toddler, and she also has a baby. And The toddler is accustomed to getting 100% of mom's attention. Now there's a baby. So mom can't give 100% of attention. So say one day mom is frustrated. She has her hands full. The baby's crying. And she simply looks at the toddler. The toddler wants something, you know, wants it now. You know, it's like that. We have that immediate gratification need when we're that age. And mom says, not right now, just a minute. Or I'll do it in just a minute. A child, especially one who's been an only child for a little while, does not have the context to understand that mom is simply busy. Mom is simply busy. So that little one in that moment can think, oh, what do I have to do so that mom shows me more love? So that mom shows me love. 
so they can begin to get into the cycle of like, how do I stay in mom's affection? How do I stay in mom's attention? Not that they were ever out of mom's affection and tension. This is why we call this misperceptions. So that one little event and, you know, say mom's really busy, overwhelmed, uh, baby's colicky, and this repeats itself. Mom is tired. She's not getting sleep. This repeats itself. Then this toddler, three, four years old, can begin to take on tendencies of perfectionism. And so the seeds of that personality have been in place. And, you know, any time that mom or dad or anybody is giving some positive reinforcement, then illogically, it reinforces that, hey, this worked. Hey, this worked. I got mom's attention. Yeah, we're good. Life is good today. And so the seeds of people-pleasing are born. To give you an example of something that, you know, I've uncovered with a client before is it was literally the mother was on the phone and was holding the child. The child wanted attention and the mother hushed the child. And in that moment, the thought was born, what do I have to do to get mom's attention? It is a simple, innocent thought. But the way that the child goes around trying to solve the puzzle tends to create a pattern that if it's reinforced or they don't find something else that's more favorable or easy, this pattern persists. And this is why, you know, some people will look at people in relationships and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, look at this person. It's like, you know, this person treats them so badly, but all they do is they just, you know, they do everything they can. They bend over backwards trying to make this person happy. And can't they see it? And no, they can't see it. Because somewhere long ago, they had the misperception that this is how the world works. When someone doesn't like us, when someone's not happy with us, when someone's in a bad mood, it becomes our job to become the caretaker, the fixer. It's up to us to make sure that that other person is happy. And what I'm going to tell you is that there is no way, there is nothing you can do on this earth. There is absolutely 100% nothing that you can do to create happiness in someone else's life. They have to choose to be happy. Now, you may do something that causes them to feel happiness, but that happiness came in from inside of them. They chose to experience happiness in that moment. They chose to experience that event from a perspective and a point of view that allowed them to feel happiness, okay? So for people-pleasing, the first thing is you got to recognize the obvious and the insidious people-pleasing, because it's not always obvious what it is that we're, we're doing. Some people are like, oh, I was just helping out. I was just helping out. However, if that person's opinion of you is very important to you, if you're attached to what someone thinks of you, then you just trying to help out could indeed be people-pleasing. So it can look like a lot of different things. With perfectionism, 
Perfectionism can come from anything to avoiding uh, criticism, avoiding punishment, to you could have very well-meaning parents, and I think I've used this example before, very well-meaning parents that want wanted you to have a life better than what they have. So they want you to get really good grades. They want you to finish school so you can go to university, get a degree. You study hard. They push you. You study hard. They push you. And the end result is perfectionism. The other thing could be is that you could simply observe that your parents have to work very hard for money. They work long hours, hard hours, and in this process, you've heard them say things like, you know, I really want you to go to school and I want you to go to college. I I don't want you to have to work hard like I do. And then you maybe witness them struggle with money or maybe there's a layoff or Um, Maybe you see them do without things so that you can have things, or maybe you had to go without things because there wasn't enough money, right? Or maybe your parents had enough money, but they were always so busy working in their career that you had a nanny or you had a babysitter all the time and you really wanted them to be home. So you slip into the cycle of you're going to do things different. You're going to do things better. And every time you do something good and well, and you're like, it's got to be better because I have to change things. I want things to be different. And then you literally set yourself up for this cycle of perfectionism. Maybe you don't want your parents to have to pay for your college. You want to get the scholarship because of money. So you get into a cycle of perfectionism for that. Maybe. Oh my gosh. When I lived in New England, I saw this all the time. So, you know, I used to be um, a nurse anesthetist. Uh, Well, I'm still a nurse anesthetist. I just let go of my certification. I don't practice anymore. But when I would work with the GI doctors, in the last several years that I worked, we were seeing more and more and more teenagers and college-age kids coming in with, um, you know, just really just irritable bowel syndrome. But they were getting worked up because their symptoms were so intense. They were having reflux. They were having abdominal pain, all of these things. And then one day, one of the orthopedic doctors that I worked with, he was having a conversation with the physician assistant in the room. And he made the comment about someone he had seen in the office. And this is not a violation of HIPAA because I have no idea who it even was. And uh, these stories could be a dime a dozen that I can tell you for sure. But the um, he saw someone who played baseball or softball, I don't remember which, and they had an elbow injury. And it was a tendon issue. And the parents were pushing for a very aggressive repair because their child was going to go to college on a full scholarship. That was their goal, okay? And and this kid was 15, but this was the parent's intent that from the time this child was a child, they had been grooming them to be an excellent baseball player, softball player. And 
I think it was baseball because I, I, I think the it was a young man and he was a pitcher from the story. So the, the surgeon goes on to say that only 1% of the top 1% of high school kids are even going to qualify for an athletic scholarship. And I don't know if those numbers are accurate. I'm just quoting him. However, he made a very good point. My children went to school with kids who not only were working for academic uh, excellence, but they were participating in two and three sports. These kids that we would see that would come into the GI Center with all of these gastrointestinal problems, you know, I would just have a conversation with them. These kids are sleeping five, six hours a night because they're in school all day. As soon as school's over, they have all of these practice meets. They're preparing for their SATs and learning to write essays. And then they have all this homework. They're doing homework till 10, 11 o'clock at night. They go to bed. They try to sleep. They're getting up at five in the morning and they're finishing their homework before they go to school. I mean, you know, mm, these kids are now in their 20s to 30s. And can you say a recipe for anxiety, a recipe for stress, because they have been steeped in this perfectionism and in this pressure, right? So we can all, you know, this is a very narrow subset of people, but it's an example of how, you know, we can inadvertently as parents put upon our children our expectations where we need to allow our children have their own experience in life and support them wholeheartedly and encourage them through that experience. So if you're dealing with perfectionism, I would encourage you to ask yourself, you know, where where did this idea that I need to be perfect come from? It could be something as simple as being in class in first or second grade and the teacher calling on you and you got the answer wrong, and then the other kids in the class laughing. Or the teacher saying, you know what, you did okay, but I know you can do better. That is one of the... (laughs) God, this episode is going twice as long as I planned. That is one of the things that just... It's so simple to correct in hypnosis but it can cause a lifetime of doubt and perfectionism is to say to someone, you did really good, but I know you can do better. Yeah, you did really good, but I know you can do better. Boy, I wouldn't expect in this conversation to go there, but yes, that simple statement, well-meaning, encouraging one to live up to their full potential can actually backfire and create a habit that creates so much frustration and stress uh, in someone's life. So, you know, I would encourage you to take a look, see how your language to yourself, because you may say this to yourself, oh, it could be better. It could be better, (laughs) right? That came from somewhere. When I did work in anesthesia in the OR, when I would work with surgeons, surgeons had a saying, the enemy of good is better. Because it never failed. 
if they did a really good job at something. And they're like, you know what? Let me see if I can just do a little something here and make this a little better. They always ended up creating more stress and frustration for themselves. So good is good. Anyway, um, I will catch you on the next episode. And, um, you know, there are some things in here I feel like I could edit, but we're just going to let it be what it is because perfectionism is not how I roll. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed this episode of Design Your Destiny, I would appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. When you leave a positive review, it's like podcast currency, and we can increase our reach and get the message to even more people that they, just like you, have the ability to design their destiny. And remember, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.